0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hatch Art Card a podcast. I'm your host, Tim Dive. Thank you for joining me once more. Um, quickly, do me a favor hit follow, hit subscribe, hit share, hit whatever it is that you can hit on the platform you're listening to this on. It does help us reach more people, which means that we, uh, it means this is all worthwhile, right? What we're trying to do with this is get the messages that we're sharing out to the people who need it most small and medium enterprises uh, and employers. So, um, Give it a share, give it a like, and give me your thoughts too. Let me know what you want to talk about. So let's get into it. Last week, I spent four days in Hobart. I was down there for the ALIRA National Conference. ALIRA is the Australian Labor and Employment Relations Association. It's a good cohort. It's a good mix of people. There's about 150 or so this time, I reckon, at the most, maybe 120. Uh, The last one I went to was 2018. There was only about 50 or 60 people on that one. Yeah, it's a small number, it's a small pool of people in in this country that are industrial relations practitioners like myself. Um, the mix of people includes unions, um, commissioners, lawyers, employer associations and practitioners like me. And it's good to get in the room. Even though you know, a lot of those groups, we, we rarely see eye to eye on a, a number of things, it's still good to get around them uh, away from the distractions and and hear what the priorities are for each of those groups. and And what I want to do is share in this podcast, I want to share the state of play, the industrial state of play for Australia um, in the next twelve months because that's what this event is really good for, right and you you, you get the, get you get the tone of what commissioners, what the ombudsman, and what unions are really focused on pushing and trying to achieve and get over the line. That subsequently tells us how hard it's going to be to run a business, right? So good information, good information. I I thought I want to, there's a couple of things that came out of it, right? Now, uh, there's a few themes and you'll notice these as we go through and I'm not going to go line by line and tell you what everybody's um, said. And, And while I'm on that, I might just say that, you know, none of the speakers that were at that event that I listened to gave me consent to tell you what they said gave me consent to, to represent their views. So these are my opinions based on what I heard. I want to make sure that's clear. I don't represent the views of any of those speakers who were there um, who um, spoke at the event, and they include people like the Fair Work Ombudsman in a booth, um, just uh, uh, the, the Fair Work Commission um, president, um, you know, uh, the ACTU Assistant Secretary, and so on and so on, you know. So there are people there that I don't want to misrepresent. These are my opinions based on the things that I heard them say. And I got a lot of notes. I took a lot of notes, right? So I'll refer to those a few times just to make sure that uh, I'm getting it right. But like I was saying, there were themes coming through. One of the biggest theme coming through was – um Tripartism, that word, tripartism, right? What does that mean? That means, and this is all coming from the union side of things, tripartism is what they want. The Labour government wants tripartism, the unions want tripartism. Um, that means that they want government, employers, and unions in a tripartite agreement on what employment looks like in this country. They want to be uh, on an equal, Um, position at the table with the government and the employer. The union wants that seat. No surprise, right? That's what they've wanted for years. But um, alarmingly right now uh, with the amount of Labor governments in power, it's their best time that they've had in probably a number of years, definitely a number of years, um, to actually get that seat and get that seat enshrined in law. So – this is the danger of, of the uh, the closing the loopholes bill that's in the Senate right now that will be voted on next year. It's the danger of that bill. That bill is terrible, terrible for employers, okay? It's overreaching and it will do damage. Um, that's a fact, okay? That, that That's an absolute fact. Unions will tell you otherwise, but that is absolutely a fact. Some other themes that, that are coming through. Um, look, I don't know if it's a theme or not, and this is probably a bit of a sensitive one and a controversial one for me to talk about. Um, and I'm not a political podcaster. I don't. I don't claim to to um, to, to get involved in political debates such as referendums and such things. Um, you know, industrial relations is a political football sometimes, but that's about as far as I get. But I'll tell you a little story. Um, just yesterday, I was listening to to something. I forget what it was. Something on YouTube and they're complaining about this you know Taylor Swift and some NFL player who are in a relationship together right now and were, you know the, the country was up in arms because during this football coverage they cut to Taylor Swift to see her reaction um 17 times 17 times and they you know and and everyone's like can we can we get over this can we get over this relationship drama thing whatever it is some football player and, and someone who sings pretty songs, uh, you know, the, the football fans, the people who were there to, to do what they love to do, to see what they love to see, to participate, didn't want a bar of it, they were over it. Now, why am I telling you that story? <laughs> it's because it reminded me of being at this event. Now, on the one day, on the Thursday, um. Might have been a Friday, it was a Friday last week actually. It was a Friday, the Friday of the Lyra event. Um, uh, and I'll preempt this with the fact, with the, the actual fact that I've done a lot of work in the space of uh, reconciliation action plans with Indigenous communities in, in the country, Indigenous employment, and such things. Right? Um, I, I'm a supporter and advocate of making progress in that area. That aside, that aside, um, this left-leaning um industry and occupation that I'm in, very left-leaning, um, is a a bit of an embarrassment, I think. One of the this is another theme that came through. This is why I'm telling you this story. But um, much like the Taylor Swift thing I just mentioned, where they they cut to her 17 times during a a football match, and no one wanted bar of it. Um in this event, on this one day, in the same place, the same location, everybody in the same room, we had a welcome to country ceremony, which was great, right? Smoking thing and all it was it was it was a, um, a smoking ceremony and and, and all an explanation of what that meant and and it, it was it was a good way to kick off the event, right? In in beautiful Hobart, and then the first speaker popped up. And we had an acknowledgement of traditional owners, and the second speaker popped up. We had an acknowledgement of traditional owners, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, and the seventh, and the eighth, and the ninth, and so on. I counted twenty-seven that day. Twenty-seven um, acknowledgements of traditional owners. Now, it's not that we had acknowledgements that I'm that I'm um, going to have a bit of a um, whine about here. It's how. Um, it's it's just how. Fake, those recognitions were. Um, it, it, it was it was ridiculous. There were the the people in the room; their eyes were rolling, you know. But and and this continued into the night. There was a gala dinner that night, and the, there were people saying speeches. Four or five, maybe six people said speeches at this at this gala event. And these acknowledgement of the countries went through the night. And even at the dinner, eyes were rolling. I even heard someone murmur, "Jesus, please shoot me." You know, it was done. It was done. How many times in one room from one group of people do you have to make acknowledgements? It's fake, right? It's fake. You don't actually mean it. You're just required to do it because you're part of a left-leaning government. And if you don't do it, you're going to be criticised, right? That's what was going on in that room. We all know. We all knew, (laughs) right? Um, That's that's another theme there, right? There's a very left-leaning agenda. Um, now, you know, I don't want to talk about politics and that, that sort of thing, but, you know, if we just look at the, the recent referendum, the, the recent referendum had nothing to do with acknowledging, um, uh, you know, traditional owners. It was about, um, in my view, a constitutional change which the country rejected. But if you can take that result of that referendum, and I'm not advocating for it or against it or, or anything, but if we summarise what, what the outcome of that was, you know, you could reasonably assume that in that room... At least six to seven people out of every 10, um, yeah, weren't on board with the amount of fake acknowledging going on. So, read the room, guys. Read the room. I saw the eyes rolling, surely you did too. So, read the room. And I'm talking to, um, largely, what well, pretty much everybody speaker that spoke, if I'm honest with you. Um, I know for a fact. I know for a fact that many of them said it just because they felt they had to say it because the person before them said it, you know, and that's not genuine. I'll get over it now. I'll get past that point. But that's a theme that was through the day as well, right? Um, Look, a- a- another thing I want to mention too, Anna Booth is the new Fair Work Ombudsman. Anna Booth was a commissioner and a good commissioner. I had Anna Booth back in the day on a couple of items and um, she found in my favour. So I'm, 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 you know, uh, good uh, good and happy memories with Anna booth presiding over the claims that i was representing in the fair work commission Anna booth is now the fair work ombudsman i think it was sandra parker was the last one she's replaced sandra parker if it was the name if i'm recalling uh correctly um and you know in comparison to sandra the, you know, the the old fair work ombudsman put out um you know statements and put out a plan and told us which industries they're going to target, what they're looking for, and that sort of stuff. Um, alarmingly, one of Anna Booth's comments when she was addressing the crowd was the mention of a letter she received from the Minister, Tony Burke. And it was essentially the way she described it. It was essentially a letter of what he wants the ombudsman to do. Okay? This is supposed to be an impartial body right, that looks over employment in the country. It's supposed to be impartial. Tony Burke issues Anna Booth a private letter to Anna, and she made a point of it. It's, she was very pleased with the fact that the minister wrote, Dear Anna, and it wasn't just a standard letter you send out. Specifically to the Fair Work Ombudsman, the Minister for Industrial Relations wrote his letter of intention of what he wants that ombudsman to do. Um and uh, in and as defence, I don't, not, you know, I don't think that's the right thing for the minister to do. And Anna, as defence, she she is carefully contemplating what was in that letter, and she hasn't responded to it yet. But she says she will respond to it. Um, but here's what it is: the ombudsman is being requested to create structures and systems enabling tripartism. That's what was said, right? That's the, ombudsman's, that's the request of the minister of the ombudsman. Tripartism, again, what does that mean? Putting the union on, on an equal footing at a table with employees and government. Do they belong there? No, they don't, right? They do not belong on equal standing um, at the table with government and with, union, and with employers. They have nowhere near the risk. They have nowhere near the investment. They have nowhere near the outcomes at stake, um, they control nowhere near the number of lives um, and and output for this country. In fact, they get in the way of it, right? Yes, inform the table. You're not going to sit at it, okay? That's ridiculous. Anyway, um, but, you know, Anna Booth, the Fairwick Ombudsman, declares the minister has requested the Ombudsman's office achieve those things, create structures and systems that enable tripartism. Remember that I've got clients who uh, who have been um, investigated or you know, just spot audits investigated by the ombudsman, um, and you know they're checking for compliance, they're doing all that sort of stuff. Investigators do those things all the time, uh, but um, there's going to be a sharp. It would it would appear from the outside looking in right now, there's going to be a sharp change in the focus of the ombudsman from compliance to try to to creating opportunities for unions. That's what that means. Let's move on from that. I'll talk about the Fair Work Commission. Um, I do love hearing the, the, the presidents of the Fair Work Commission talk. The last time I went to one of these events, as I mentioned, 2018 down the Barossa Valley was beautiful. Um, at that event, we had Justice Ian Ross. Um, Justice Ross was the previous uh, president um now it's adam hatcher adam Hatcher is now the, the 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 fair work commission president and what the fair work commission president was really banging on about um well most of his most of his talk was about how well the commission has performed um and you know you might you might think yeah that's a bit of a wank and and, and whatever but it's actually a good thing to talk about because um what what we have here is confirmation that commissioners are being performance managed by the president of the Fair Work Commission. Okay, and Justice Hatch is a fair. He, 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 he's a, he, I do like. Uh, sorry, um, Adam Hatcher is a fair Fair Work Commission president. I do like. I do like the work he's done. Um, I do like the cut of his jib, you might say. Um, and it's it's pleasing to me to hear that commissioners have a KPI dashboard. Their own metrics on how well they're performing against those against the requirements that that the president requires them to perform at. That's awesome, right? But what does it mean? You shared some numbers, um, and there's, is, these are very interesting numbers because you can you can um, detract a lot of things from these numbers and this information that the the president of the Fair Work Commission has given us um, over the last financial 2022-2023 so financial year. Uh, there were thirty-one thousand applications. Okay, um, that's a lot of applications to get through, right? The Fair, we're not talking about calls at a Fair Work Ombudsman, nothing like that. We're talking about actual cases, application forms for remedies that have been pushed into the Fair Work Commission to deal with uh, claims against employers. Thirty-one thousand of them, unfair dismissals, general protections claims, you know, adverse action, same thing. Um, stop bullying orders, all yeah, all kinds of interventions that the Fair Work Commission might get involved with. Um, the KPIs for the Fair Work Commission is timeliness, efficiency and decisions, right? Timeliness and efficiency in decisions, okay? What, what um, Adam Hatcher is saying, the President Adam Hatcher is saying, is that um, their KPIs are that 50% of um, uh, matters are to be finalized within eight weeks 90 percent of matters are to be finalized within 16 weeks eba decisions enterprise bargaining agreement decisions, and i've had a couple of these in the last few months surprisingly they went through pretty quickly right um, but the targets for them are that um, a decision on an eba so when you put an application into it for a commissioner to approve an enterprise bargaining agreement 50 percent um uh finalized within 17 days. That's the KPI. That's the metric on the commissioners. And ninety percent finalized within 36 days. I'm pretty sure that the one the last one we did was done by 17 days, might have been might have been 20 or so, but um I wasn't counting. But it was it was it was a pretty short turnaround. So they are performing, right? The commissioners are performing. Are the decisions good or bad? that's not the measure, right? They're just getting two decisions. That's that's what they're being measured on. Now, the performance of the decision itself—that's that's the one that's the important measure that's not being looked at, though, right? Um, and I wonder why that is. I do wonder why that is. I, I guess you've got to, you've got to, you've got to appeal systems and all that sort of stuff. But what we're doing by what we're doing with that is we're putting the onus on the on the applicants and the respondents um, to push the decisions to the line and be tested. Um, that's not the way to accurate accurately measure whether the decisions commissioners are making are fair, reasonable, good, bad, or whatever. Um, That's something, that's leaving something left to be determined, I think. Um, Nonetheless, nonetheless, um, 96% of enterprise bargaining agreements are being approved. Okay, 0.5% are rejected. So somewhere in that 3.5% or so, um, you know, they're, they're in limbo. There's something going on with them. Um, so 96% are approved. That, that's that's not a bad thing. And remember, 50% of them are being approved within 17 days. So if you're if you're an employer who's considering an enterprise bargaining agreement, um, and you don't know what to expect, it'll be pretty quick once you get through the whole negotiation phase. That's what that's telling us. Um, here's something to be um, to which is going to be very handy for employers to know. Um, most matters in the commission are self-represented matters. So, yeah, this is a good thing. It's a good thing. Um, Lawyers make things harder. Lawyers drag things out. Lawyers contest where you shouldn't contest, Um, you know, and so when self-represented parties are in the commission, you're probably going to get a decision far quicker, which is resulting in the numbers we're seeing being reported, right? Um, The other thing is that the commission appears to want that to be the case because they're actually putting out a lot of training. They've got learning portals. And just a couple of numbers on on um, on who's viewing on on how many views these portals are getting, right? In that same financial year, twenty twenty two to twenty twenty three, so the year that ended just a few months ago, three thousand people viewed the unfair dismissal training portal. So there were three thousand people that uh, went into the portal, the learning portal for the, that the Fair Work Commission has created, and they're trying to learn how to run unfair dismissal claims. Um, sixteen thousand people went into that fair work commission learning portal to access workplace sexual harassment training instructions. So how to run those claims. And that's going to lead me into some other um, discussion points. Um, workplace and sexual harassment claims are up. Um, there's plenty being settled outside of courts. Uh, but there's there's a large number that are succeeding, and a large number in Queensland, which is where I'm based, obviously. So if you're in Queensland too, we've got the highest rate of sexual harassment claims, and we'll we'll, we'll look at those numbers in a second. But isn't that interesting, right? That's interesting. So you've got. The Fair Work Ombudsman, let's put it all together so far. You've got the Fair Work Ombudsman who's received a letter from Tony Burke, the Minister for Industrial Relations, stating to the Fair Work Ombudsman, I want you to create systems and structures that support unions to achieve tripartism. We've got the Fair Work Commission who has set KPIs of their commissioners to get to decisions quickly, largely centred around enterprise agreements and enterprise bargaining, and they're creating... Uh, learning platforms and portals for people to self-represent in claims against employers. Um, So there's there's certainly a lot of um, indication that the strength of the employee in the industrial relations framework is the priority of these institutions. So be warned, be ready, be alert. People are accessing information at alarmingly high rates be ready for that let's move on to another part of it right um you know there's a a high focus on gender equality um from the fair work commission so when they're looking at um reviewing awards when they're looking at claims when they're looking at minimum pay rates and that sort of thing um, they're looking at gender equality and if there are traditional structures and decisions that have been made in awards, not, not recently, but all the way back when the awards were first written, if there was any influence back then that was more, more, more tainted to the male experience in the workplace, the commission's is digging all the way back then to assess all those conditions. And if they find something that they don't like or that was likely influenced by a male perspective or a more dominant male perspective in the, in the workplace back then, they might bring out an equal remuneration order. They might put an order in place or change, or change a modern award or put a remuneration order in place in the favour of uh, specifically female Australians to get more money, right? That's, that's, a, that's not anything new. Um, that's been um, a mandate essentially of from the labor government to the fair work commission uh, from their from day one when they got an office so there's nothing new there right um but um let's have a look you know the age care the age care decisions it's an aged care sector it's essentially that that's that's the that's the one that's been most recently changed and um the the subject of, of orders for remuneration to be lifted um But there's essentially what we're looking at, there's 13 modern awards that are going to receive focus from the Fair Work Commission um, regarding gender equality, right, regarding female wages. There's going to be a review of 13 modern awards covering 29 occupations. Those 29 occupations have an 80% female to male ratio. So, um, yeah, I'm assuming aged care, childcare, some education, let's say clerks, private sector. Um, and so on and so on. I don't know what those awards are, but I'll make some assumptions there, and I'm probably right on a number of those. We'll see what the Fair Work Commission releases when they do their their, uh, modern award reviews. So let's keep an eye out for that. If you're in a heavily female-oriented industry, your wages are going to go up. Expect that, okay? Um, Don't forget also too, right, Um, surprisingly, this isn't something that's taken up a lot, but um, a lot of employers seem not to know about this particular thing. Equal remuneration orders. There is a pathway for employees. If you employ a female and a male in your workplace and whatever dynamics and reasons exist or the, the, there might be a perception or it might be true that the male person is getting paid more than the female person and they're doing the same job. Um yeah, any party can submit an application into the Fair Work Commission for them to make an equal remuneration order. And the commission has the authority and the power to intervene and hear that matter and listen to all the details and arguments at play and make an order against the employer to pay that female person at the same rate as the, as the male employee. Um, so... That's something that most employers don't know exists. So be aware of that as well because the more pressure, the more focus and the more, um, let's say, advertisement of uh, female gender being prioritised in the Fair Work Commission and the Fair Work system, more of these claims will come out, right? So just be ready for those um, and make decisions in accordance with that knowledge as well, right? Stay out of the commission. That's the that's the idea. Um Look, I, I, I want to make a mention to uh, Jessica Tinsley, Je- uh, Jess Tinsley's from the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, probably the better speaker on the day. No surprise I'm saying that because I'm for the employer, right? So is Jess. Um, but uh, she made um, a, a lot of great points. And alarmingly, you know, f- for me, the ACTU Assistant Secretary, um, what's his name again? I forget his name. I do apologise, don't read into that, um, but the ACT Assistant Secretary, um, the uh, academic that was there, Dr Caleb Goods, um, let's talk about him in a second, um, let's talk about the unions, um, uh, the union-based lawyers from Morris Blackburn later in the day, you know, they, they, they continued this um, this issue with the word productivity and how employers want to see more productivity if you're going to... Push the wages up. We got to talk about productivity, right? And unions were—that's pretty much the only concern that I've heard from from employers. Um, yeah, in in all honesty, employers don't—the people I work with, the the companies I work with—they're happy to pay more money. They're happy to pay more money, provided the work ethic is there, provided people want to turn up to work, right? provided people care about the company, care about the profitability of the company. Why is profit such a dirty word? Profit means you can pay more wages. You need that before you get wages. I, I don't understand it. It, just, uh, it. it misses me completely. Why unions and academics and the Greens parties and that sort of thing have an issue with companies being more productive, getting more profit? You want more money? That's where the money comes from, you know? It's crazy. The, the, the country's employers are not all tier one operators with 100,000 employees turning over hundreds of millions of dollars in a year um, and setting record profits. 80-plus percent of the employees are small, small and medium-sized businesses, two employees, three employees, five, 10, 20, 50 employees. They drive around the ship boxes. Right? because they're putting all the money they make back into the business to make it more sustainable, to, to make sure the staff are paid, their families are fed. That's, that's the reality. That's the absolute reality of what employers are facing. And Sally McMenus herself, the ACTU secretary, has specifically said she does not want any employers to, have any exclu- to be excluded from any of the things they're pushing. She's specifically stated that she wants no small business exclusions. From anything the ACTU is pushing. Let's get back to my my point, um, Jess Tinsley. So she she was talking about um, a whole range of things. She even um, gave gave space to the unions in the room. The, the union delegates in the room agreed with them on, on a number of things. Um, constructively dis- explained what productivity is, um, and made a few good points too. I'm just, I took a photo of a couple of a couple of the um, the screens she shared. So let me just. Pull these pictures open because, you know, I've spoken about these the, this complexity in our award system at length before, um, and uh, you know, she she's she, her team, Jess Jess Tinsley's team, um, has pulled out a couple of um, a couple of uh, awards where it's just very very complex and, and ex- good examples of where how complicated it is for companies to be compliant uh, with wages and understanding what to pay and that sort of thing. So let's say this, the Building and Construction General Onsite Award uses over 1,200 words to impose requirements relating to the hours of work and rostered days off, right, making it virtually impossible for businesses to introduce more productive working hours or shift patterns, okay? It's so prescriptive. There are so many holes you can fall into, and become non compliant and as such subsequently be subject to the wage theft stuff that the ACTU are pushing i want to put you in jail and fine you 8 million dollars or something right um for getting it wrong but that one award has 1200 words you have to get through to understand how you can set up your 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 roster patterns your shift patterns um and your your ordinary hours of work and how you can set up your company ridiculous right difficult tough um, the Graphic Arts Printing and Publishing Award 2020 uses over 3,500 words to define how ordinary hours are to be worked and rostered, also constraining a business's ability to introduce more flexible working hours. Where's the productivity? Focus there, right? It's not there. There's no, it's virtually no um, ability for, or, or leeway in industrial relations in Australia today for businesses to um, get creative and be more productive in order to give more rewards back to employees. It's, it's crazy. The Vehicle, Sur- the Vehicle Repair Service and Retail Award 2020 provides around th- uh, 30 different types of allowances, including, get this, including um, that I- I'm going to start this again. This is ridiculous. The vehicle services and uh, the vehicle repair services and retail award provides around 30 different types of allowances, including a requirement to pay an allowance for a tire fitting completed on a Thursday or Friday instead of a Monday to Wednesday. Right. That's just further evidence that the award system is shit and doesn't support employers at all. Confuses the hell out of everybody. Like we can go on and go on and on with that stuff. But I, I just wanted to demonstrate that uh, th- those, those sort of items, you know, when you've got the AC, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, um, you know, really trying to represent employers and be heard um, in the face of academics, unions and government um, laughing at you for using the word productivity when productivity is the entire reason businesses exist, right? Productivity and profitability gives you your wages, it gives the government their taxes. Um, you know, it, it, that, that's what it's all about for a business. And the, the business owners often are just paying themselves a wage as well, right? The, the, most businesses have this money sitting in their business and going back into their business, which gets dispersed to their employees, paying bonuses, paying incentives, lifting wages up, investing in more software, and investing in new tools and machinery, becoming more productive again, giving more rewards to employees and so on and so on. It's a cycle. We need productivity to be a focus. Some of the points there that were really good were, you know, um, but let's talk about enterprise agreement, enterprise bargaining agreements, right? Enterprise bargaining agreements will not be approved, will not even be looked at by a commissioner unless it has all the mandatory terms. It's about eight or so mandatory terms, things like consultation provisions and and, and that sort of stuff. Well, cool. what about putting a productivity provision as a mandatory term? Right, unions must consult with the employer about productivity improvements. Right, put that as a mandatory term in the enterprise bargaining agreement. That's one. That's one thing you can give an employer at least. Jeez, tell you what. Um, anyway, Dr. Caleb Goods. I've never heard. I've never heard of this organization before, but. Um, A-I-R-A-A-N-Z, Academics for Industrial Relations, whatever. Um, Association of Industrial Relations Academics, Australia and New Zealand, I think that was. Um, Never heard of that um, body before, Um, but they have a labour and industry journal. Maybe you want to look it up. Um, But academics, I don't know if academics belong in the room. I just don't know. I don't know. Pretty much all this guy spoke about was climate change and how climate change must be brought into um, enterprise, industrial relations that must have a focus on climate change and climate change, climate change, climate change. And I'm thinking to myself the entire time and speaking at dinner with a couple of people that night, how misplaced is that? What more do you want to put in the shoulders of employers? Like I said before, we're not all tier ones right? We, we employ one person, two people, five, 10, 15, 50 people. We have to pay for family and domestic violence um, situations. We have to pay for deaths in the family. We have to pay for um, yeah you, you name it, right? The employer has to pay for it. That's just the way the system works. Now this uh, this academic group wants to put climate change responsibilities on top of the shoulders of small and medium-sized businesses as well. I mean, come on. How complicated do you want to make this system? It's already the most complex system in the world. You want to throw climate change into the mix. Fuck off. Seriously. And and I say, I'm not the only one who thought that either, right? What a waste of time that bloody that bloody talk was. At that dinner that night, it was the same thing. Pretty much anyone that I spoke to about this situation was of the view that it was misplaced. So, look, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> um, there is one last thing I wanna finish on. There's, uh, uh, There was a talk from a Morris Blackburn lawyer. Morris Blackburn are a union affiliated lawyer. They're on the, um, the, the employee side of the industrial relations, but uh, very interesting topics. Um, aside from uh, Josh Bornstein, um, from Morris Blackburn, aside from his ridicule of the word productivity again, which was disgusting, um, he actually shared some pretty good information and um, detailed some sexual harassment and discrimination cases. And let's be clear, this stuff has no place in workplaces. Sexual discrimination, um, sexual harassment, sexual assault has no place in Australian workplaces. Let's talk about some of the stats, right? Um, alarmingly, Non-disclosure agreements are still being used now. I've I've recently investigated a sexual, um, essentially it was a sexual uh, harassment claim, but really it was more of a, an assault than anything else. Um, and you know, with that, before the investigation even got legs, the the the, the respondent, you know, um, uh, you know, sought legal advice, and and to my surprise, the the law firm was pushing. Um, deed of really, deed of settlement, with 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 non disclosure agreements, and all on all sorts of things, and that's um, that surprised me. That really did surprise me. Given the work, I think it was Kate Jenkins, the Sex Discrimination Commissioner. Given the work that she did for two or three years, um, and how public that is, and how um, how much in the conversation sex discrimination at work and sexual harassment has been, surprises me that employment lawyers are pushing NDAs and deeds of settlement that contain NDAs. Um, to silence employers and and, and the parties involved in a sexual um, sexual harassment claim or otherwise. That's beside the point that I want to make here. But um, look, Josh Bornstein gave some some good numbers that that were going to be handy for employers to know. Um, I don't know how many cases are raised in a year, but approximately 50% of all the cases succeed. And when I say succeed... They're getting paid, right? Sexual harassment cases are being heard, and there there are damages being awarded. Fifty percent of those cases succeed. Now that's very high, very very high. And employers, you better be you better be across that. You better be aware of what's going on under your roof. Because I know you aren't. I know that you are not. And you may think you are, but you are absolutely not across it. What the, the vision that you get of your workplace as a director, a CEO, uh, a, a senior leader is completely a, a different organisation than the frontline workers, than the people at the reception desk, than the people in the, in the offices, on the phones and that sort of thing, right? Very, very different. You've got to be across it. You've now got positive obligations to deal with. Um, you know, reporting sexual harassment and stuff that goes on in your workplace but to deal with removal of psychosocial hazards and all these types of things, right? This is all to go towards dealing with these types of matters and removing them out of the workplace. Let's go back to these numbers. Um, 50% of cases succeed. Um, Queensland has 73% of, of those cases. But we've also got the lowest payout of those cases as well. So we've got the highest volume of cases and the highest volume of successful cases, 73% in Queensland of sexual um, harassment and discrimination cases, um, lower-level payouts. However, um, more cases are being settled um, and overwhelmingly more cases are being settled outside of courts and tribunals than are actually reaching the the courts and tribunals. Those settlements are very high, up to the, the six to seven figures um amounts 6 to 7 figure settlements are occurring right these must be significant sexual assault claims that are happening in workplaces um but the general the, the general damages being paid as a result of a tribunal or a court hearing the matter is around $60,000 probably an average of about $60,000 so queensland here in my home state queensland where the highest percentage of of cases 73% overall around the country 50 percent of those cases succeed um and you're probably going to pay sixty thousand dollars so let's look at those numbers if you' don't know what's going if you don't know what's going on in your workplace and you've got some it, it can and it doesn't have to be an assault it doesn't have to be a sexual assault it doesn't have to be a slap on the on on the butt or or a pinch somewhere or a touch somewhere it just has to be perceived by the by the person to be sexual harassment Okay, importantly, this lawyer, um, Josh Bornstein, confirmed it's it's the law's position that um, it doesn't, the severity of the impact of the harassment or discrimination doesn't matter. It has no place in determining the value of the compensation paid to the individual. It doesn't matter, right? Did it happen? Did it not happen? If the answer is yes, they're getting paid. That's kind of how it's been spelled out. Um, the, so the reasons why you should focus on that in your workplace and deal with those things and remove that risk from your workplace are obvious. If you get a claim put against you that goes into a, to a tribunal, one out of two chances. So what? It's a fifty percent chance you're going to lose that case, and a fifty percent chance it's going to cost you sixty grand. It's worth it, right? It's worth taking care of it. Look, I think we might wrap it up, but that's kind of the, that's the state of play. That's what businesses are going to be um, forced to deal with um, in terms of what these institutions are prioritising and focusing on for the foreseeable future. The Fair Work Ombudsman has been instructed by the minister. Will the Fair Work Ombudsman actually comply? We don't know. We do know Anna Booth was a good commissioner. We do know she's probably going to be a great Fair Work Ombudsman. We do know she's a lovely person and all that sort of stuff. Um, we also do know she's from a union background. Um, will she Does her own integrity and credibility get get um, tainted? I don't think so. But we know the Minister has asked her uh, as the as the new Fair Work Ombudsman to um, set up systems that will enable tripartism. We know that. We know the Fair Work Commission are looking at expediently dealing with issues because they're getting a lot. They're getting 31000 We know the Fair Work Commission are working on improving and expanding their education portal to allow employees to learn how to run cases, how to run sexual harassment cases, unfair dismissals, general protections. Uh, We know that those learning portals are being accessed at alarming rates to sexual discrimination. One was 16,000 views in uh twenty twenty two-23 financial year. We know that. We know the Chamber of Commerce, um uh the Australian Chamber of Commerce and, and Industry Um and employer groups everywhere are pushing for one thing. Give us productivity. Put productivity as a, a mandatory term in our enterprise agreements. Put productivity back in back in the in the on the table in industrial relations design, strategy, and negotiation. We know those things. We know that um, sexual harassment can, claims are going to cost you a lot of money um, so, and we know that the academics want you to take care of climate change too, okay? So let's think about those things as we move forward. Um, if you're going to end up in claims, these are the claims that they're going to they're try and hit you with. Um, so stay out of it. Get in touch if you need help. If you want to ask questions about any of these things and, and how they're run, how they're managed or even just suggest what we might talk about. In more detail feel free to do so and once again if you do like this podcast um, if you found it useful if you think others might find it useful if you know someone who needs this sort of um, you know information share it follow us give us a follow us a or whatever it is on your platform um, stay connected that does help us a lot so until next time keep a tight workplace we'll talk soon